Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. Well, we're in this series, and it's called Live Differently. Uh, you don't have to live that way anymore. And I had, you know, as you get older, your memory goes backwards. You know that, right? I can't remember why I went in the kitchen, but I can remember what I did in fifth grade, that kind of stuff. Some old folks over here nodding. Um, so uh, uh, I was in the car this week, and I was thinking about the world. I was thinking about the, the situation the world is in and, and just observations I make around the, about the world and the culture and people I know that are struggling and so on. And this old uh, phrase, and it was just a two-word phrase that came to me. It's from a, I remember it from a song. It's actually from the Psalms, and it's the words, uh, Miry Clay. Anybody remember that from an old hymn, Miry Clay? Uh, miry clay is like mud. It's like the kind that sucks your shoe off when you try to walk in it and you start sinking. Miry clay. Here's the song. Uh, here's the, here's the, the chorus. Uh, he brought me out of the miry clay, set my feet on the rock to stay. He puts a song in my soul today, a song of praise. Hallelujah. Now, I think there was another one with that same phrase in it somewhere now that I'm reading this. Let me read the first verse on this one, though. My heart was distressed neath Jehovah's dread frown. And low in the pit where my sins dragged me down, I cried to the Lord from the deep miry clay who tenderly brought me out to a golden day. Now, this song is about kind of the muck we find ourselves in. Kind of the muck and the mud and the slogging through. And as I was thinking about the world we lived in, I was thinking, what should I speak about? What should I talk about? And I was thinking about uh, uh, just all the different voices, all the different philosophies, all the different people trying to make it up as they go. What if there were just a way to kind of let go of all the noise and all the opinions, and there actually was a solid path in which you could be lifted up on, uh, lifted up and set on that path and go that way, and life would work. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what scripture is. Scripture is that path and the one that lifts us up is Jesus, and he puts us on this solid ground, and he gives us the path to walk on. The problem is we keep stepping off the path because we think we know better. And so we end up in the mud and we get, and because we're in the mud, we can't realize that we're not on the path because we've been inculcated that the mud is the way you live. And even if it's not working, that's what you keep doing. So I was thinking about that. So a few weeks ago, we were talking about this, this series and, and what does that mud represent? It's just, it's just misunderstandings or perversions of what God has given us as gifts. So let me give you the, like three of the most obvious. Money, sex, and power. Last week, I talked about money. Aren't you glad you're here this week? <laughs> now, a little warning. If you've got kids in the room, we're going to have an adult conversation. So if you want to take them to a children's program, you can do that. We're going to talk about stuff that's important and some misunderstandings uh, about God's gift of intimacy. Uh, uh, and because oftentimes we settle for sex when what we really want is intimacy. And so we're going to talk about that today. And we're going to have an honest... Now, if you're a guest with us, well, you picked a great week to come to church. Um, I'm not here to be some old guy telling you that sex isn't fun and you shouldn't do it. That's not at all true. You should absolutely do it. Absolutely. Every chance you get inside the context of what God intended, which is a man and a woman married to each other for life. That is where it is supposed to be. A part of the mud of the world we live in is that people have thought that it is something else. 
that it is an escape for a few minutes, that it is a way to just have pleasure without any kind of commitment, and it is detrimental to our society and to us. And if you're a guest today, don't, don't hear me kind of saying, don't do this, don't be a terrible. It just kind of, I don't want you to walk out with conviction. I want you to walk out with information. I want to be an old guy reading from a very old book, even older than I am, and saying there might be a better way to, to live out your sexuality. There might be a healthier way. There might be a more productive and enjoyable way to live out your sexuality. And it was God's idea all along. And so if you can kind of put down the defenses for a moment and just evaluate what I'm going to say to you logically and, and not be offended if you're a guest. Now, if you're a Christian and you're not living according to this, you ought to be a little offended or at least convicted. Because God has a better way for you, and you know that. And I'm going to encourage you to get on that path. So here's what it says in Genesis 2, uh, starting in verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Uh, now the Lord, Lord had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of Adam's, one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is, uni and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, the last part is because they didn't have fast food yet. <laughs> There's a number of really important things in here, and I'm not going to go through this entire passage. Let me just point out a couple real quick for us. The first is, is that um, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. That actually, because th this could really read, man got to name woman. And all, well, that goes in context of what was happening in creation. But it said a man will leave and unite. That is an interesting thing in the ancient world, to leave your family of origins and to unite with this woman, making a new family. That was a priority to, that he needed to make to a woman that, that in the ancient world reading this would have gone, hmm, that's interesting. That was elevating women um, and not at all um, uh, detracting from women. Um, so there's an interesting thing here when it said there was no shame. It, 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 is, it is a picture into what sex was supposed to be. Originally, they could be together and have a relation and, and not be embarrassed about it. Sex is one of the most popular topics, but we all still are a little like, some of you heard before you came in today what I was talking about. You were already white-knuckling it when you came through the door. He's going to talk about it, you know, the shameful thing. Well, that's actually not a part of God's intention. That's a part of the fall. And it's a part of our misunderstanding and misusing one of his gifts. And so today, I hope it may bring a little different. Uh, so recently, I was watching um, uh, social media, and something popped up. And it was a... It was a uh, it was this round table, uh, um, and it was young adults, and it was a couple of guys, uh, maybe four or five women, and another, another woman who was kind of with the guys and what they were saying, and they were having this discussion about how to find the love of your life or a mate. 
how to find it, which is not a new discussion. I think uh, young men and women have been having that for a lot of years, not, from what I can tell. And, but there were some phrases in this conversation and some things that were kind of eye-opening to me. It was kind of, it was kind of amazing. And uh, I mean, they were talking about uh, how the world is today and it's not like it used to be and, and you don't find a mate the same way they used to and all this kind of stuff. And, and it seemed that the, the young women on one side of the table were all advocating for a very modern, a very open, uh, and, and by open, I mean a multi-partner uh, kind of deal. And, and, all, and the other, the two men and the young woman were kind of advocating, it seemed, for a more traditional kind of view of finding a mate. Now, what it would take. And by and large, the single women were uh, frustrated um, and, uh, and the others are trying to explain the frustration. And frankly, there wasn't a whole lot of love or grace in the room uh, from what I could tell. A couple other things that I noticed. One was they were all single, which is a little bit like the blind leading the blind, if you ask me. If you really want to know how to find a mate, find someone who's found a mate. Wouldn't you think that'd be helpful? I would think so. Uh, and has done so successfully. Uh, and because in, in the discussions were all kinds of questions, all kinds of, you know, what do you look for? What do you want? All that kind of stuff. And there were, um, you know, there were answers. There were answers like, well, they have to be so tall or, or, or they have to, uh, whatever. They have to make so much money, uh, different things like that. Not once was they have to be a person of good character. Character never came up in the discussion. By the way, being a Christian and having character are the two most important things you can find in a mate. Just anybody that's still looking, those are the two most important things. Nice to have a good looking partner, but they don't have any character. The Bible says it's really rough. Okay? So they didn't talk about any of those two. And in the discussion about what these young women were looking for in a man, they want a high value man. High value. Now that's interesting. Not, a, not a, a man of great moral character, not a truly loving or affectionate. They want a high-value man. Now, I don't think that was exclusively monetary, but it was primarily, to be honest. But I thought it was really interesting. Last week, we talked about how consumerism has, has shaped the way we look at everything that we are to consume. And the underlying belief, which we won't usually acknowledge on a, on a, on a, uh, a level that other than maybe kind of, uh, you know, uh, subconscious or something, but the reality is, is that we believe on some level that more is always the answer. And so, if, therefore, if I can get more stuff, which was our talk last week, then I will be happier, which just isn't true, Okay. And so this consumerism, this idea that we are first and foremost a consumer and that acquisition uh, will bring us what we want in life has, has kind of uh, spilled over into even our seeking a mate. They wanted a high value man. That was an interesting phrase to me. I had not, not heard that a lot, a high value man. And so there was this whole discussion about how one gets a high value man or how one doesn't. I think just the discussion in those terms tells us a lot of what we're getting wrong about love, much less sex, in our society. This, this term tells us that we are trying to find something we can consume. But relationship isn't about consuming it's not about being a consumer. See, that's transactional. That says that if you give me what I want, I'll give you what you want, and we'll make it work out. The problem is you're not going to get what you want from marriage. <laughs> I 
And the bad news is neither is your spouse. But you will get so much more in the end if you learn to stop getting and start giving. See, that's where we're wrong. We're looking to get. But sex was created in a marriage so that we could give each other some wonderful things. I'll talk about what those are in a moment. It's transactional. It is very much if, when, because. So I, have a, I had a friend many years ago when I used to be a youth pastor and, uh, and back in the horse and buggy days. And, uh, and my friend would go and speak to high schools and so on. And, and he would uh, talk about different kinds of love, helping, trying to help young people realize that what they were involved in might be infatuation, it might be something else, but it might not be, probably wasn't true love. And that when you go to find a life partner that you want to look for something beyond what you're probably experiencing now. So one day he's walking up to a high school to talk to a few hundred kids and he sees the, what it looks to be the jock and the cheerleader couple. Okay, every school's got them, whether it's actual sports or it's something else. But it was the quarterback of the football team and the lead cheerleader. Okay, and they were together, and he had his arm around her, and um, and he walked up. He goes, "You the quarterback? Yeah, you cheerleader? Yeah." And uh, and and he says, "This your girlfriend?" Guy's like, "Yep." He goes, "She's beautiful." And this guy, "Yep." He goes, "What happens? She got hit by a truck. Her face was disfigured. Would she still be your girlfriend?" And the little girl's like, and the guy's like. Um, well, um, um, and the little girl's like, honey. And finally the guy was honest enough to go, yeah, probably not. Well, it was a really harsh thing to do to that little girl. It might have been a favor, though. Because you see, what that relationship was about was an if, when, because kind of relationship. It was transactional. I'll be with you as long as you're the head cheerleader and you're beautiful and everybody thinks I'm the greatest guy because you make me look better. But if you didn't look good, then you would make me look better, so probably we wouldn't work this out so much. You're saying, well, that's just a really graphic, awful example. Look around. Everything you see on television, everything in social media, it is a transactional proposition. But that's not what love is. That's not what marriage is. That's not what God intended sex to be experienced in in the context of. There is a better way. God has a better way. Many years ago, I had a friend named Dave. Dave actually is older than I am, and he fought in the Vietnam War. In the Vietnam War, he had a phosphorus grenade right by his head. Before he threw it, someone shot it. A bullet hit it, blew up, took off most of his hand, most of his face, ear, eye, uh, part of his nose, and most of this and some of this. Um, they thought he was dead uh, until he actually uh, made a noise on the chopper and freaked, him, and freaked them all out. Um, he had phosphorus. He was still burning when they tried to carry him to the chopper, caught the, the gurney on fire, and he fell through the ground. He's got a hilarious story um, about it. And, but the most moving part of his story is um, when he finally got back to the United States in a burn unit. I can't remember if it was Texas or in D.C. I can't remember which one. So he's in a burn unit. He is, uh, has had several skin grafts already. His head is swollen quite large. Uh, he's unrecognizable. And they decide that, that he's well enough to have his wife come visit him. So he's laying in the burn unit, just an open unit, a bunch of guys. And um, they warned his wife that they hadn't been married very long, but uh, it's both of them solid Christians. And uh, they warned his wife that you won't recognize him. So he's the third bed on the left. Look at the chart to make sure you got the right bed because you won't recognize him. Dave knew this and he knew that this young bride probably couldn't handle what she was about to see, much less the future it was going to entail. And as he laid there, he just uh, knew this was going to be the worst moment of his life, even worse than being blown up. To make matters worse, 
Same scenario for the guy next to him who was coming in and out of consciousness, who when his wife walked in and saw the chart, looked at what used to be her beautiful husband, took her wedding ring off and put it on his chest, said, I can't do this, and walked out. And Dave said, I knew the exact same thing was going to happen that same afternoon to me. He said, I, I believed in God. I'd been through a lot of pain, but I knew I couldn't handle the pain of that. I would find a way to end my life because I couldn't handle that pain. This young Christian woman who had made a commitment to love her husband until death do him part, walked in, looked at the chart, made sure she had the right bed, looked up at him and said, hey, 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 Davey. Now, I don't know if you know what that means, but to him, he knew exactly what that meant. That was code for, hey, 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 Davey. <laughs> he said, I couldn't believe it. She not only talked to me and looked at me, she said, hey, 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 Davey. And then she walked over and kissed me on my lips. And, she, and he said the worst part was when she raised up, part of my burned lips had come off on her lips. I couldn't believe it. And he said, I somehow managed to mumble out through all the bandage, I'm so sorry, I won't look good for you anymore. And she said, Davy, you were never very good looking. I heard Dave tell that story hundreds of times and it never fails to move me because that's what love looks like. That's what it's really about. It's not about it, if you look good, then I will love you. It's not about because you have certain attributes that make me look better, I will love you. It's not if, and it is period. I love you, period. You get blown up, your face is swollen, you got skin grafts, I love you, period. I said it then, I mean it now, it will be true until one of us dies. See, that's love. That is the context. Now let's just take this to where we're going here, right? Let's think about sex in this context where it's if and because. Sex is then transactional. It is performative. If I don't do good at this part, maybe they were not going to work out. Whereas over here, I love you, period. Now let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate that we are together in this, that we love each other, that we have given ourselves to each other no matter what. You talk about a different kind of experience. That is what God intended. Unfortunately, in our society, we've come to believe that freedom to have sex with whomever, whenever, wherever we want, if we can get them to consent to it, it is good. It is not good. It's not even close to what God intended. We are settling for sex when he offers us intimacy. It is a, it is a poor substitute. God wants so much better. Sex is not a consumer thing. It is a covenant thing. Covenant is a, is a term that God uses when he said, I will be your people, you will be my people, and I will be your God, and we are in this thing together. It's more than a legal contract, and it's more than warm feelings. It is a commitment on a level that we don't make to anybody else. It is a commitment that we are in covenant together. We are in this thing together, all of it, not just part of it. The truth is, it is about, sex is not about transaction. It is not transactional. It is about affirmation, that even as I open myself up and I am naked before you and I give myself to you, that's why they weren't ashamed because they were sharing everything together. 
It wasn't just one little part of their life they were going to try to share and then keep the rest separate. That's not what it is. It is a symbol. It is symbolic. I have given my whole life to you, and now I'm giving my body to you. Let's celebrate that we get to be in this together. That's what it was intended to do. It's like, re, it's like a recommittal ceremony every time. I'm yours. You're mine. I belong to you. It's a great affirmation. That's what it was intended to do. It says that I will adjust to you. I will pay more attention to you than my own needs because this is not transactional. If I have needs, I'm, I will tell you about them, but that's not, our relationship is not dependent on that. Our relationship is dependent on the fact that I've chosen to love you and I will love you, period. It's interesting to me that this whole idea of covenant is something that we don't understand. We don't understand the power of it. Let me just say, having a married man and woman, having this physical relationship is about providing a safe place. It's about, it's about I have given everything to you and you've given everything to me and we are together in this thing. And no matter what comes, we're in this together. I didn't tell this in the other services, but I remember as my dad was, uh, was dying, he would take his hearing aids out at night and he and mom would talk. And, I'm, and they're, they're yelling. I mean, they're yelling. And I am in the next room going, oh, I don't want to hear this. But I'm glad I did. They were in it together, even in the final moments and the final days. They had been doing this thing together. They were still doing it together. They were one. Now, no more facades, no more marketing, no more branding. It's just us. I don't have to impress you because it's not transactional. I have to love you. I have to care about you. It's a safe place. It's an opportunity for deeper feelings to grow. When it's not based on feelings, but commitment, then real feelings can grow. You see, we think that sex is about falling in love and having these deep feelings. Well, I'm not saying you marry somebody you're not attracted to, but the, it's the commitment that really makes the marriage. It's not the, the, the chemistry. You can get chemistry, lots of folks. I believe that. Truth is, it's about a commitment. Uh, when you're a parent... You love that child. But the reality is, it is not transactional. Because no matter how much you love that child, you're not going to get back. No matter how much you invest in that child, there's no investment coming your way. If you're, if you're expecting an investment to come back right away, you're going to be waiting a long time. But the more you invest in that child, the more you love that child. Because the feelings will follow, follow the commitment. I, I, I had a friend when I was a young married guy. I couldn't believe it. His parents were Sam and Pansy Kintai. I remember they were from India. Lovely couple. I think he was an engineer, if I remember right. I think she might have been a nurse. Three children, all born in America. And um, Sam and Pansy had an arranged marriage back in India before they'd come to the States. Both Christians, Christian families. And, uh, and when it came time for their son, the doctor, uh, after he graduated from med school, uh, that he wanted a spouse. He went to his mom and dad and said, I'd like you to arrange a marriage for me. And they said, no, no, son, you don't need to do that. I know that's our tradition back in India, but you're an American. We don't do it that way. He said, no, no, I want you to arrange a marriage because you two didn't choose each other, but you chose each other after you were married. In other words, you didn't do the normal route of falling in love and all that kind of stuff. You were chosen to be with each other and you decided to love each other. And the depth of your, your relationship and your love for each other is based on that commitment and it's deeper than anybody else I've observed. And I want that. That's an interesting thing to me, isn't it? It's so counterintuitive. I'm not saying your parents should go arrange marriages, but I am saying that your commitment to love 
will bring the feelings eventually if you keep loving. The woman came up to me after first service and said, thank you for this message. 12 years ago, my husband and I were about to split up. I couldn't stand him. He couldn't stand me. And then I realized that I wasn't really doing what I was supposed to do as a wife. I wasn't loving him. And he wasn't doing at all what he's supposed to do as a Christian husband. He wasn't loving me. And so we decided to start doing the things that loving people do. And now 12 years later, our marriage has never been better. We are in love because we decided to start following God's plan. By the way, the parents didn't arrange a marriage. They said, we'll make an introduction. They found a girl in India, family, friends. They introduced them, said, you two decide on your own what you're going to do. They fell in love, got married, both doctors, have a great life. The reality is, is we're so wrong about so many things. If you're married and you're, not, you're married right now and you're not in love, there's a song, I've lost that loving feeling. You know what happened if I told my wife I've lost that loving feeling? She'd say, get over it. It's not about what you're feeling. It's about what you're committed to and where we're headed. So you better start loving again, my friend. The encouragement to you is if you're in an unloving relationship, start, start acting like a loving person. Start acting out what it means to be a loving spouse. Even if you don't feel it, the feelings will follow. You will determine that, that marriage can make it. It's counterintuitive to all of us. Um, there is a final thing that I'll mention on this part, point, and that is that to experience the freedom of predetermination, to express my sexuality in the context of marriage, frees me up. It's no, longer, it's no longer transactional. In that relationship, I no longer have to impress anybody. I just have to grow and enjoy. I, I can learn now to just be a better husband. I'm not still looking around for the woman that's going to make me happy. I've already got that woman, and it's up to me to be happy. And if I'm not, um, tough. But I can be, and I am. And so now I focus on loving her the way she needs to be loved, on growing her the way she needs to, to grow, in, in creating that freedom of environment in which she can become all that God wants her to be. I am now free. I have made the choice. This is the woman for me. No other woman for me. Don't need to look around. Don't need to evaluate. There are no other women for me. This is the one. I am free. I am free of that whole thing. Um, let me say one more thing about that. Sex is not just a physical act. It's not just a pleasure. It is a sacrament. There is something spiritual about our sexuality. As a matter of fact, in Scripture, in Ephesians 5, when when uh, it talks about husbands and wives, it makes a comparison to Jesus and us, the church. And the way that Jesus treats us is the way we're to treat each other. There is something spiritual about, there's something sacramental about sex within marriage. It's powerful. By the way, if you doubt that, let, let, let me just tell you the harshest part of that conversation I saw on video. The subject of body counts came up. Now, if you don't know, you've never heard that phrase before, we didn't really use that so much. Uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have used that phrase that much uh, back in the day, but now it seems to be something we openly discuss. If you don't know what that is, you can infer what it is. And the more traditional young people on this panel were suggesting, and they, and they asked body count, openly ask it. And, and the numbers were, I wasn't expecting it. And then the traditionalists were saying a couple things. One is, um, you know 
high value, still haven't defined high value, men don't want somebody with a high body count. And the reverse, the, the other side was saying, we live in the modern day. We can do what we want with our bodies. It doesn't matter. And they just spouted all the philosophy they've been taught that it doesn't matter. And yet these other ones kept saying, yeah, but the high value men aren't going to marry you. Why in a modern context where you can sleep with whoever you want, whatever you want, it doesn't matter. Why do high value men, whatever, however that's defined, not wanting women to have high body counts, where did that come from? Because we are Christ haunted. Because Christianity, what is right, resides deep within us somewhere. But because we know there is something spiritual about a sexual relationship. The Bible teaches that it's the closest thing, that relationship, that thing together, it's the closest thing we'll have to being known and knowing as we will in the presence of God. That's what it is. And by the way, and the harshest thing, and I said there wasn't much grace and love in the room on that interview I saw. And the harshest thing they said, by the way, the high value men will sleep with you. They'll never marry you. Okay. I knew it to be true. I didn't like hearing it out loud and those women didn't like hearing it out loud. But when it was said, they went quiet because they knew it to be true. So the reality is you were intended to share that part of yourself with one person in the context of marriage. That's what we're intended to do. And we can, we, can, we can shout and scream and sing and do all kinds of things to the contrary. But when it comes to the end of the day, it is still true. That is what we were made for. That's why it doesn't work outside of marriage. It is selfish to have sex outside of marriage because you're not making a lifelong commitment. You're not giving all of yourself to that person. You just want a little piece of them, pardon the pun, a little piece of them for a moment and you're saving the rest for yourself. It's selfish. It lacks integrity. I mean, as long as I've just offended most of the people in the room, let's just get everybody. Uh, living together, pardon me, but statistically, apart from scripture, living together, dumb idea. Look at the stats. People who live together are more likely to get divorced when they finally do get married. Why is that? Because when you live together, you're still keeping your options open. You are still in a transactional relationship and you develop habits that go with a transactional relationship. It's always in the back of your mind. If she doesn't please me, I'll go find somebody else. I'll upgrade this thing. Oh, no, we don't. Yes, you do. And, and I've got to please him. I've got to make it. One woman, here's a quote. For a year and a half living with him, I felt like I was in an audition to be his wife for a year and a half. It's because you're not doing the way God's way. You're in the mud. Get out of the mud. Finally, let me, let me hit two things. Let me just hit one more. Pornography. Pornography is rampant in our society. Even secularists, even people who don't even believe there's a God are seeing the damage it's doing to our society and to individuals in our society. If you do any kind of research at all, and it's not just men looking at pornography, but the percentages of men who look at pornography, it's unbelievable. It is rewiring your brain. There are chemicals dumped in your brain that were meant to be dumped in there when you're having sex with your wife that would bond you together. Who are you bonding with now in that screen? It is messing you up. It is addictive. It is messing up your brain. It is messing up. Let me just read some quotes from a, a secular uh, study done on pornography. It's not a Christian thing. Is what it says. It causes unrealistic expectations. It diminishes tolerance for difficulties of real relationships. It reduces the desire to marry. And all women are being forced to accommodate sexual behaviors and appearance to the images in porn. 
It is changing our society. So a number of years ago, I was in Montana. This guy invited us to his house. We go downstairs. He pulls a whole bookcase open. And inside, he's got a gun vault. He's got hundreds of guns. And he starts showing us. I don't know anything about guns, but, oh, it's a pearl-handled whatever it was. Well, that's 100 years old. Oh, that's cool. And, I, and then about a dozen guns. And he goes, oh, by the way, you guys know these are all loaded, right? I'm like, he goes, yeah, a gun without bullets is just a paperweight. And I'm like, from then on, I'm like, oh, because I realized the danger by mishandling something so powerful. It's not just, oh, boys will be boys. No, you are putting pure dynamite in their hands. It'll mess up their head. It'll, it'll diminish their future potential for relationships. You think that won't have an effect on our society? Guys, this is powerful stuff here. So, how do I end a talk like this? I always love these talks because nobody ever talks to me afterwards. <laughs> I just go on home, call it a day, think of all the stupid things I said or whatever. I finished a talk like this a number of years ago, and I can't tell if they're in the room today. They still attend the church. I haven't seen them today. Um, but I finished the talk, and I was being kind of smart aleck, and I was being inappropriate. And I said something about sex and you know, it's good to go home and work up a sweat every once in a while. And if you don't work up a sweat, you're not doing it right. And something stupid. I don't know. It's, you know, one of those things. Being dumb. And as soon as the message was over and I dismissed, the unusual happened. This little older woman makes a beeline for me. And she's got her husband in tow. And I'm, oh, no. I know what she's going to do. She's going to say, you little young punk, you, you can't say something. You know, I knew she was going to chew me out. And she just walked up and she just, just kind of, as she was going by, she goes, oh, we can't talk. We're going home to work up a sweat. <laughs> and, and, I, and when I realized what she said, I went, well, ble- well God, uh, see ya. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand right now. I'm going to pray a prayer, and then I'm going to say, see ya. And you figure out what you're going to do with this. All right, let's pray. Stand together. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so good. You gave us a wonderful gift, and the gift of intimacy, physical intimacy. It has been so perverted and so cheapened and misused by all of us at some time in our life. And yet, Lord God, it doesn't diminish the fact that it's a great gift, and that you intended good from it, for it, uh, in us. And so today, I pray for anybody who's caught up in a relationship that's not honoring to you and is not building them into who you want them to be. Give them the courage to acknowledge that. Lord, for people here today who don't believe any of this stuff, let them just think a little bit. See if it actually makes some sense. If it doesn't explain some of the morass that we find our society in right now. For those of us who call ourselves yours, we call ourselves Christians, let us understand how precious and how powerful this gift is and to treat it exactly the way it should be. Help us to grow closer as couples. Help us to enjoy ourselves even more. And Lord God, thank you for this gift. In Jesus' name, amen. See ya. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.